0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway, an attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. Al Malafrante here, coming at you from my home stadium, the Broadway Podcast Network Studios. We're only a few weeks away from opening day, and I couldn't be more stoked for the upcoming season, and I think the term excited very much applies to tonight's show. Uh, Alongside me in the batter's box tonight is someone who I've gotten to know in the past year, definitely one of my favorites here on Broadway, and more importantly, one of the favorites among the Batheads. She was voted to the Break-A-Bat Broadway All-Star Team last summer. (laughs) Uh, and I think what's most impressive about her selection to that roster is that she made it as a first-year player on Broadway. Uh, no rookie in the acting world by any means, but you know, having made her debut as Chloe Valentine to be more chill, a uh, lot of critical and popular acclaim. And as you know, in baseball, you don't necessarily have a ton of players come up and make such a big impact on the game right away. So that's partly why the Rookie of the Year award gets so much attention. So if that honor was given out here on Broadway, she'd certainly be right at the top of my ballot, so.
0: Oh, thanks, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting, Caitlin Carlson. What's up, Kit? Yo, thanks for having me. So if I'm gonna do that introduction, like what what uniform number would you be wearing? Like number 21, number 13, Caitlin
0: Carlson? Well, if we're like honoring Chloe Valentine, it's obviously number one being Queen Bee as she is but if it's me (laughs) my lucky number is eight so um yeah let's go with eight
1: chloe valentine could i could have seen number one or 69 perhaps (laughs) but
0: (laughs) she was advanced for her age Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's going on what you've been up to
0: oh my gosh what have i been up to it's felt like such a blur since the show closed um you know, we wrapped up in, like, mid-late August, and uh, I went to L.A. pretty much immediately after that um, for a couple of months to audition, and... um That was really productive and really fun and, you know, got really close to a couple of things that were, like, so close it, like, hurt, you know. But, um, (laughs) it's you know, it's nice to get that close to things and it still sucks to not get them. But uh, that's okay. It's all a process. And then um, pretty much right after that, I went to – a long-planned vacation in Tulum that I had to leave halfway through to go do um, Joe Trace, book writer of Be More Chill, his new Netflix series, Uh, a guest star on there. So I left Mexico to go back to New York to work with Joe Trace again, which is, of course, a blessing. And also, piece of advice for everyone out there, if you want to book a job, book a vacation. It's the rule of the universe.
1: And why is that?
0: Um, Because fate conspires against us and our happiness.
1: <laughs> ah, t- I, I, I see where you're coming from. Now, it's funny, you mentioned Netflix. Uh, you know, you were going back and forth to LA and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You kind of came back to town as a conquering hero because Holly Star <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. was
1: one of the biggest holiday films on Netflix.
0: It, it, You know, it had a nice little surge. It was a nice season. We had a kind of an independent release last year. And, um, it gained some traction with the, you know, Be More Chill following, which is amazing. And then Netflix scooped it up, which is awesome and kind of rare for Netflix to do these days. They're typically like making their own content and, you know, making their own productions from scratch. So it's cool to get um, bought by them. And uh, yeah, it had a, a nice trending period. I think uh, people really enjoyed it. So I was happy to see
1: that. And this is of no disrespect to the Be More Chill fan base, but how many stupid DMs did you get like Netflix and Be More Chill?
0: <laughs> um, not a f- not just a few. There
1: were- <laughs> <laughs> so there are people out there that lame. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's people of <laughs> every stripe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, you've been in the TV industry a long time, and you're going back out to LA for pilot season. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's it changed?
0: Oh gosh. Well, it's, it's so saturated now, which is a blessing and a curse, um, in that there's just so many platforms, uh, which means there's so many opportunities, but it's also, um, a really dense field. So, uh, more platforms mean more shows means more work for actors, um, and more competition. It's just, a uh, Yeah. As the, as the pool gets bigger, so does the, uh, the fish in it. So it's, um, you know, it's harder to compete, but there's more, um, field to compete on. So it's, uh, you know, and it's happening all year round. So it used to be that pilot season was kind of isolated to, you know, February, March. And now it's, uh, it's heavier than as, as it always is, but, um, it also happens throughout the year. So when I go out to LA in the fall, I'm auditioning for pilots as well as episodics, and it's all kind of happening all year round.
1: Now, you actually have a large body of work right now that is available on YouTube. Now, when you shot those, I, I could tell it had like a Caitlin Carlson spin on that.
0: Oh, which things? Uh, you
1: did like a, you did, what was the video that you did with the chick who had that accent? You were kind of like, it was kind of Bronxy.
0: Oh, God. Um, Oh, was it like the wedding planner or something? It might have been.
1: You kind of have like a funnier die type vibe. Oh,
0: gosh. Oh, my coffee, God. Coffee,
1: coffee and Keurigs or something. Oh my That's God. what it was. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay, so that would have been um, Damn Family, my uh, beloved but now defunct sketch team. Um, and we, yeah, we did make a few videos uh, back when, you know, we were just uh, wanting to write our own stuff and by our I mean me and my husband and we you know we we did improv together for a while then we switched over to sketch because we liked writing and it was a little more um predictable (laughs) show to show than (laughs) improv is and um yeah so we had a lot of fun on this team and like we we actually started watching some of our old stuff a couple of weeks ago, I just kind of stumbled across on, like, our Vimeo or something. We're like, man, this shit is weird. Like, what? <laughs> or wait, We had a, a show that we wrote for UCB um, called Till Death Do Us Fart. And <laughs> it's, like, about uh, um, a, an, uh, a spoof of an off, 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 Broadway play starring a husband and wife duo and um during our like cheesy intro i fart in front of him for the first time and he can't handle it and so we tailspin <laughs> and uh have to break it to our adult son <laughs> that uh we're going to split up and do two separate shows so um it's absolutely batshit insane and like freaking hysterical and we also wrote another show called The Masturbating Time Traveler, which the world just wasn't ready for.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, these titles that you're choosing are very risque. And I, I'm actually, I, the whole reason I brought it up is because, you know, you talked about how things change and how things are so saturated now. Like Were you sending these out along with like your audition reels and whatnot? Uh,
0: oh, no. These were sort of like, um, <laughs> like morsels to be enjoyed live only. You know, and we, we think our humor will um, translate in other areas of our our career but um we weren't trying to like sell till death do us part as a series but i mean maybe we should it was pretty brilliant so yeah it's great
1: and um you know you you mentioned that you and your husband both actors mm-hmm. and you both write
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: you guys just finished working on a movie together, correct?
0: Yeah, we wrote a screenplay together that we are um, in kind of the pre-production stage for. Um, My husband, his name is Ryan Farrell. He uh, is a wonderful actor in his own right. And um, he's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And the film is set there and it will be um, shooting there. So we're in kind of that like terrifying uh, fundraising, finding investors uh, to come on board stage. And it's very exciting, a little scary, but it's like, oh, man. We're gonna make a fucking movie. It's gonna be awesome. Is that
1: what got Holly Star produced? Did you have to fundraise to get that made? No,
0: Holly Star was, um, I was, I was, I just auditioned. I was cast off a tape for that movie. So um, that was an independent independent film itself. Um, Ed Burns, the wonderful independent actor, director, um, was the executive producer on that film and um, directed by a great guy named Michael A. Nichols. And uh, yeah, just cast me off a tape and we had a FaceTime. Chat and that was that. So I, it was kind of a fun crash course in what it means to um, do an independent film where a community is rallying behind you. To uh, you know, just in every possible facet, it takes a village to make. An independent film, and the villages happened to be Saco and Biddeford, Maine. So um, <laughs> it was really, really cool to see how people were so excited to come together to make a, a, a lovely film that people can um, enjoy every year. So we're hoping to replicate to an extent that sort of um, community effort and like pride in a production in Calgary. We're pretty psyched about it.
1: Yeah. And you got producer credit in that film, if I remember. I did. You, like, did. reworked the script. What did you do that? You, you know, actually earned <laughs> this title. I'm curious.
0: Um, I think that was more of, like, an incentive to come on. It was just kind of included in my offer package. Uh, I never really dug into why that was part of it. I think just because, <laughs> I mean, you've seen the movie. I'm in, like, every yeah. frame of the thing, you know? And uh, I think – Maybe they kind of knew how insanely brutal the conditions of shooting, mostly outside in Maine in December, would be. So they're like, you know what? This is going to suck someday. So we're going to throw you this credit. I'm like, great. So uh, I'll take
1: it. (laughs) Absolutely. Now we're going to leave Maine and take a trip back to St. Louis, Missouri when we return on Break a Bet. Now, you grew up in St. Louis. Tell us what it was like in the Carlson household.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, let's see. Okay, so I grew up outside of St. Louis in a small town called Eureka, Missouri. Which Eureka! Is, it is as glamorous as it
1: sounds. <laughs> it's a fun um, word to say.
0: <laughs> it is. Um, you know, there's kind of a funny story that I'm probably going to butcher about why Eureka is called Eureka. Um, and it borders a town called Pacific. I mean, the legend goes that when... The railroad was being built. The uh, <laughs> making up, a sorry. The uh, the railroad um, executive was like, "You build this railroad till you hit the Pacific." And then they got, they gave up halfway across the country, like, "Eureka! We reached the Pacific."
1: <laughs> <laughs> With that big smile on, yeah. on their face like you yeah, had telling that story. Pretty much.
0: See, that <laughs> might be complete bullshit. My uh, AP history teacher told us that story, and he uh, was a bit of a fibber. So maybe it was just a, like an, an elaborate dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but gosh, let's see. The, the Carlson household was um, a, a kind of a, <laughs> a liberal bubble in a very conservative <laughs> religious area. Um, yeah, a very, very red state in a lot of ways. Um, I like St. Louis a lot and it definitely has a lot of <laughs> crazy problems. Um, but there are some cool pockets and like cool art scene emerging and some, you know, some, uh, people who aren't denying the human rights of others at every turn. But, um, yeah, I did a lot of, um, uh, praying at sleepovers that I did not super want to be doing. Um, it's like, okay, I have accepted Jesus into my heart. Can we just sing karaoke now? <laughs> like, like, just put on Grease too, and then I'll debate with your mom about fossils not being real in the morning. Oh, Jesus like, <laughs> Christ! Yeah. <laughs> so there, yeah, there was a lot of that. That was fun. Um, but uh, the <laughs> yeah, the Carlson household was great, really fun, and. Uh, My mom was a teacher, and my dad still is a lawyer, and um, my mom is a retired teacher's assistant reading specialist, and she's a Zumba instructor now. And my brother is uh, a little bit older than me, and he has an amazing bakery in St. Louis. He still lives there. And uh, yeah, it's a great bakery called Red Guitar Bread, best pizza in St. Louis. Check them out, Cherokee Street. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold you know, thing to say on, on this podcast with a largely New York City-based audience. Well,
0: I know. And St. Louis pizza is a very divisive subject. In what way? Um, it is what many people would describe as gross, but not me. It holds a very special place in my heart. However— My brother Alex does not make St. Louis-style pizza. He makes like Neapolitan pizza, you know, like charred in the brick oven, like incredible crust, blah, blah, blah. But St. Louis-style pizza is like (laughs) – I mean, that's what I grew up on, so I didn't know differently. It was like, you know, Emo's, the local chain, or like Pizza Hut. We all know what Pizza Hut's like. So it's just like, oh, it's just thin crust pizza. It's like cracker thin crust. With Provel cheese, which not everyone knows, like a uh, provolone and other stuff.
1: (laughs) I like provolone. I'm curious to hear what this other stuff is. Yeah, I think it's basically
0: like a a hybrid of um, provolone and like American cheese. It's very (laughs) um, (laughs) liquidy.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, I'm not
0: selling it. And you know, but you know what? John Ham, huge fan of St. Louis pizza as a St. Louisan. And, um, he sends an, an emo's pizza to every talk show he goes to, so I really should have had one sent here. But
1: <laughs> I would have loved to try. I really would have loved to try your brother's as well. Now, let me and ask that's you: the best. that's the that's the go-to. Yeah. yeah. How do you say mozzarella in in uh, St. Louis?
0: Mozzarella. Oh,
1: jeez. <laughs> Another New York. Have you do you say mozzarella like like we do around here?
0: Mm, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, mozzarella. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I mean,
1: you saw my last name, right? It's like it was—I was born into that pronunciation.
0: Well, you know, I just watched this long YouTube video that was like asking Italians to say these things, and they're like, "No, mm, there's a 'n' on the end." <laughs> mozzarella. <laughs> what is mozzarella? Like, I don't know. You got a point.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's an a 'n'. Calamod, like cal- calamari, like you would probably say. Calamari. Is, yeah, <laughs> that's calamod.
0: Bruschetta. Bruch-
1: for <laughs> shit. you just just take yeah. off the vowel we pride ourselves on the vowels but you just got, you, you just, just you're clip Italian, them. yeah you clip them with the food.
0: <laughs> see no I'm, I'm, I'm Swedish Irish and German so none of these impulses are helping me out with the uh, the
1: mozzarella it's a good combo <laughs> <laughs> the Swedish Irish and German part yeah um, you know and just going back to your childhood for a second you know tremendously bright parents and I know just from talking to you the, you know a few times that I have you're a tremendously bright girl uh, your parents, one thing that I thought was so cool is that it sounds like you grew up in a house that really embraced sports and the arts.
0: They did, yeah.
1: You know, Cardinals fans really have a knack or a reputation for being super down to earth. And I know that, um, you know, sometimes that, you know, we as Yankee fans, we get a little bit of a bad rap, but you went to quite a few games growing up. I did. As a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it about baseball, in particular, that you think you know drew your family in so much uh, drew your family in so much.
0: Um, oh my gosh, that's a good question. Well, my my dad is originally from just outside of Chicago, so he actually grew up as a Cubs fan. Um, so I think he just grew up going to those games as well. Um, not a big athlete, my father. But,
1: <laughs> um, An academic, clearly. Uh, yeah.
0: Yes, more on that side. More of a like dissecting the game than <laughs> like, playing it. But he, I mean, he coached my my table team and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think one I mean, you came to St. Louis as a teenager and, um, you know, so I guess became like a big Cardinals fan. And I don't know that my mom would describe her as a huge <laughs> – herself as a huge baseball fan, but she definitely goes to the games.
1: Did you guys have season tickets.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, we had season tickets every year growing up, and it was always like a great family outing. Um, There's something very like – I don't, you know, I don't seek out watching baseball on television, but going to a game is, like, such a therapeutic, like, meditative experience. It's sort of this collective chill energy with these bursts of excitement, which is um, kind of, like, the perfect speed for, a, you know, an outing when you just want to, like, chill for a while, eat some nachos, and then, like, stand up and yell and then sit back down. <laughs> and, uh, Yeah, it was great. I loved it.
1: And when you get old enough, you know, you add beer into the equation. That makes yes, that's more fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this may be too deep a question. Was there any? Was there ever anything that you saw in the field that you know? Again, you have this performing background that kind of inspired you, or you know, anything that you picked up from the stadium that you applied later in life.
0: Oh gosh, that's a good question. I mean, well. I was all I was a gymnast growing up. So Ozzie Smith would always do the backflip on opening day. And I think he was doing it every game for a while, but like later in his career it was on opening day.
1: Yeah, once he hit 40, you can't do it. And he's like, you guys did this once.
0: <laughs> and I loved I just found that so charming and just so powerful and cool, you know, because like most guys weren't doing a flip. And it was somehow very like um, it was showmany without being, like, show off It was just this ownership of his field and his game and his crowd and just, like, you know, feeling the crowd in the palm of your hand, which I can relate to as, like, that's one of the best feelings in the world. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: And you started performing at how old?
0: Um, let's see. my Well, I started really, really, like, wanting to be an actor – it, as a, like a sophomore in high school, I did my first musical. But before I mean my parents would say they knew very early on. I was doing like a whole routine after dinner every night in our kitchen, like doing impressions, like, yeah, a whole a whole thing. So they were not surprised when I was like, "I want to be an actor." They're like, mm, "We know." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you were always theatrical, but you didn't really pursue it in you know a formal way, I guess, until you went to high school. That's amazing. Yeah,
0: totally. I was um, well, I was you know a gymnast for so long and um, a very academic kid, so. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Like I thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon because, you know, as a young gymnast, I was like seeing my orthopedist a lot working on that patella tendonitis and whatnot. So um, (laughs) I was like, this is great. I I can, you know, extend my love of sports and, you know, physiology for the rest of my life. And uh, turns out I just want to make people laugh on stage.
1: I mean, that's the greatest gift that you could give to someone. When you have to make that decision in high school, and there's a dilemma for a lot of performers who did both sports and the arts, you know, getting up to that point. Uh, did you completely put, uh, being a gymnast on the back shelf?
0: Well, um, I, that was kind of a decision that was made for me. I fractured my fifth lumbar vertebra when I was 13 or 14 years old in eighth grade. And, um, I, Yeah, that was like a kind of put a quick stop to that. I was, uh, I wore a brace. For like three months, which made me very cool in eighth grade. <laughs> <And> <laughs> in case uh, the audience can't sense my sarcasm, I was not cool. I was wearing a hard back brace. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, were you not cool because of the back brace? That's oh no, like- <laughs> I was not
0: cool for many reasons. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the, you know, I that injury happened. You know, wore the brace. It healed. Went back to gymnastics promptly broke it again and I was like you know what I'm not I was never like Olympics bound I'm just gonna call it a day on this particular like ginormous piece of my life (laughs) which was not an easy decision to make but um you know I like grew six inches and then uh got to do theater and at that point my brother had started doing theater and I was like I want to do what he's doing so I got to finally like pursue that and fell in love with it more than anything I'd ever done before
1: it's cool that you look up to your brother. My younger sister made fun of me like for many, many years, <laughs> so she could have taken a few lessons from you. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You, know, you went to University of Chicago, and you pursue a degree in English. Mm-hmm. Is acting still at the forefront during that moment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a, a funny thing, because the University of Chicago is a, a liberal arts college, and it didn't have a theater major when I went there, which— I knew and I, um, didn't want to pursue, um, a conservatory program for acting. I just, uh, you know, I was coming out of high school as, you know, like I said, just a very academic oriented student and, um, wanted to pursue the whole like learning about everything thing. And the UFC felt like a really good fit, um, for my like (laughs) pretentious little intellectual teen self. And so, um, went into the interdisciplinary studies in the humanities, quote unquote. And then my third year they offered, or they created a major called theater and performance studies. So it was like easy, easy transfer of all my credits. And at that point I had, um, I'd booked my first couple professional productions. Um, and basically the, uh, program director wanted me to do a BA project and like, it's instead of doing a professional production. I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I then transferred all my credits to English and finished that (laughs) way. So I was the first theater and performance major and the first theater and performance
1: studies dropout at the U of C. Do you feel any (laughs) extra confidence when you get to, when you graduate a school, when you graduate from a school like that? Because as you know, acting can be such a turbulent industry and you know, when you have a degree from a school like that, that you just in a worst case, you have something to fall back on. Is that into your mind, or is it just like, no, screw it. No matter what, I'm going to make it as an actress because I know that it's very hard to. You want to stay focused on your primary goal, mm-hmm. but you also, you know, you want to have somewhat of a safety net. Am I wrong about that, or how does that work?
0: Um, I've never considered, um, and my English degree as a safety net. <laughs> I'm like, I basically like, well, this demonstrates that I can read and I can, um, you know, rattle off of you Shakespearean monologues if you want, which came in handy for a while when I was like auditioning for that kind of stuff, but I'm just not really doing right now. But um, no, it was always pretty all eggs in the acting basket and just hoping that it worked out. And there's still that hope. I don't think you kind of ever stop hoping that hope.
1: Did you get regular work out of college?
0: Um, I worked as in the storefront theater circuit in Chicago for many years. Yeah, like multiple plays a year. There, It's hard to make a living as an actor in Chicago, and most actors don't. Um, you know, there's some of the m- most incredible theater I've ever seen in my life that takes place in like teeny little storefronts, black boxes in Chicago. Um, but there's like a handful of actors in Chicago who make a living there. Um, and there's shows that cast there, but you know, they're coming to New York and LA for like the major guest star roles and all that jazz. So it always seemed like I was going to leave there eventually, but I was working a lot in theater at the, at that time.
1: Do you feel like a big fish in a small pond here? No, there. No, no. (laughs) God, no.
0: no. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. I, I wouldn't say that. Um, at that point I was like, you know, mid twenties and still, um, you know, kind of trying to discover my own relevance. And at one point, this very well-respected, well-known actor in Chicago, um, his name is Larry Newman Jr., who was uh, one of the stars of the first play I did at a Red, a red, at a red Orchid Theater, uh, where Mike Shannon is a company member and founding member. Um, it's an incredible play. It changed my life. And uh, we did a couple shows together, Larry and I. And at one point, Larry said to me, uh, I can't remember the context of this, but he's like, Katie, people know who you are. And I was shocked. I was shocked to hear that. I think there was something about like the Midwest upbringing and like, you know, wanting to be known and make a name for myself, but also these impulses of like, don't be in anyone's way, you know, and just like assuming people don't recognize me or remember me. And it was like, oh, I'm actually doing great work and people notice. So I think that's an ongoing thing, actually, is like acknowledging when you do good work and like accepting that it's worth knowing.
1: And how did you transition to the TV side of things?
0: So that came, I mean, there was there were a couple things here and there in Chicago, like really small things. But um, I was cast as one of the leads in an in independent film um, in Chicago, which was my first time doing a feature film. And that was just so life-changing, just like being on set every day and learning from um, Doug Jones, an incredible character actor. He was um, the amphibian man in Shape of Water and, you know, Silver Surfer and— all these incredible, um, like prosthetics roles, and this was uh, the first role featuring him as a human man, and um, it was just a super cool experience. And I was like, "Oh man, this on-camera thing is pretty great." And very shortly after, the, actually the same year, I booked the national tour of *Dirty Dancing*, the classic story on stage, which was the pre-Broadway national tour. That happened to uh, begin right before the recession happened. So <laughs> Broadway did not
1: receive. Broadway wasn't ready for it. Broadway wasn't
0: ready. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's where I met my husband. And so basically, he was living in New York at the time. And I was like, well, I, was, I knew I was going to leave Chicago anyway. So I might as well go to the coast where this guy that I fell in love with lives. And... Um, the, you know once you move to new york it's like so much television there's so much television casting all the time so when you are lucky enough to get to a point where you can audition for that kind of stuff it's uh you know that door opens a crack you just kick it in and you just hope hope they keep rolling in so um yeah just moving to new york is kind of where that all began
1: and that's obviously small fish in a big pond and i think in mm-hmm. some ways and and tell me if i'm wrong and You know, you have a pretty good familiarity with baseball as well. I think the biggest separators for the great ones are the ability to be accountable. Obviously, always trying to get better. However, um, you know, you kind of go from playing against the best players in a particular city, Mm -hmm. uh, in a particular state, in your particular country. But when you come to New York, you're going up against the best players in the whole in the whole world. Oh yeah. Um. Does that make you raise your game at all?
0: Absolutely. I think anytime you can raise the bar, um, you meet it. If you you know, remain disciplined and motivated, um, it's it'll only elevate your game to be among people who are better at it than you.
1: And you certainly did that. And before we head off to Broadway, we are going to take a short break. Uh, It's time for the seventh inning stretch next on Break a Bat. Now, Caitlin, we're going to do one of our signature segments here on Break a Bat. Are you familiar with the seventh inning stretch? I am. And uh, so uh, if you're familiar with it, who do you think did the best out of our previous episodes?
0: Oh, (laughs) Oh, you meant on your show. <laughs> I thought you meant as a concept. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's when you go to the bathroom and you sing Take Me Out of the Ball Game.'" <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you you have the right idea. And it's. Pro- I'm kind of happy that you're uh, going in blind. <laughs> Picture this. Games tied. Your chance to go into the clubhouse, loosen up a bit, hit the cage for some extra swings, except instead of swinging at baseballs, mm-hmm. we're going to have you swing at some trivia questions. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Now, it's been a few months since Be More Chill closed. Uh-huh just to make sure you're still well-versed in the legacy of the show. <laughs> I thought we'd come up with a few questions, half about Be More Chill and the other half about baseball.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, great. I love this.
1: And you get enough right, you win a prize.
0: Okay, all right. All
1: right.
0: I'm very competitive. and yeah. not always able to back it up, so this could be very frustrating.
1: <laughs> you just got like a look in your eye like I feel like you're about to kick my ass. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see what we can I'm do. I'm like here. in my brain, I'm like, come on, Carlson, don't fuck that up. All right. Which nationality did Jeremy claim Madeline was? French. Can I hear your response to that in the crazy girl voice that he used in the show?
0: Oh, she is not French. She just pretends to be for attention. Wonderful. Kind of sound like Kevin McAllister just it, it
1: did one for one though, nonetheless. <laughs> uh, all right. Stan Musual's nickname was.
0: Um <laughs> uh let's see. Um the, the stand the man.
1: <laughs> that is correct. Is it, that true? That is true. <gasps> that is stand the man. Oh yes. Oh
0: my god! Amazing. Wow! I think see that was just like I learned that by osmosis. That's just like part of my DNA. I don't remember ever learning that, but I clearly did at some point.
1: Yeah, I was well growing up in a Cardinals household. I feel like yeah. that's just a name that's kind of All synonymous. Right, awesome.
0: This is going great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when Michael's in the bathroom, he hears a drunk girl sing along with who through the door? Whitney. Three for three. I should have made some tougher questions here. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brittany, my my uh, friend Brittany Bigelow is in studio, and I just kind of like looking at me like, "What the hell, Al? Like <laughs> y- you've just went off the soundtrack." Um, <laughs> here's a good one: Who was the Cardinals' Gold Glove winning catcher from the early two thousands who went on to manage four Cardinal playoff teams?
0: Oh, I have absolutely no fucking idea.
1: Is that is that your answer that you don't know?
0: I don't know.
1: It is Mike Matheny. Does that name ring a bell?
0: Yeah, okay. it does.
1: What does Squip stand for?
0: Super Quantum Unit Intel Processor.
1: You got it. Now, we're not going to let you get away without another baseball question. Okay. Which Yankee legend was Mark McGuire chasing in the great home run race of 1998? Wait a minute.
0: Well, wait a minute. I know he was neck and neck with Sammy Sosa, but he that's that's
1: right. Well they were chasing each other, but they were chasing each other to brace a certain record. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm hmm um, uh, <laughs> let's see. Mm. I I, I couldn't even guess a name of a Yankee.
1: Here's one Yankee that I have a good feeling that you know a little bit about just because of his place in the Broadway community. Which Yankee is known as the Cuban Missile and the apex predator in the Broadway community? Oh, God. Chapman? That is correct.
0: Oh my God!
1: Broadway's favorite Yankee, Araldus wow. Chapman.
0: Where did I pull that out from? Amazing. He
1: does have a very large Instagram presence <laughs> yeah. now these <that> days. <laughs> it's very much Good. a thing.
0: And hey, that's a very clever with that apex predator tie-in.
1: Yeah, he is a lot like Regina George. <laughs> He's worn a pink suit on occasion to the stadium. Amazing. He sometimes carries a purse. It
0: takes a secure man to do that. Again, I think we need to break down these gender stereotypes. So uh, more power to you, Chapman.
1: Yes, he is a progressive figure. (laughs) But let me give you your prize.
0: Oh, my God. Yay, I love to win. I
1: said you get enough of them right, you win the prize. Now, I know you like the occasional hat. I I do. uh, Now, I know you're going out to LA. Uh So I figure you could take a piece of New York with you.
0: Woohoo! Oh, dope. I love it. Is
1: that your first Yankee hat?
0: It is. Check out the back.
1: Wait a second. Look on the back.
0: Oh my God. Look at that. Taking a
1: little piece of this great dope. show with you.
0: I love it. I don't know when I started becoming a hat person, but I really am now. I love a snapback.
1: It's kind of a New York thing, I think.
0: I think so. I, right? I think it gives me a little street cred.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> University of <laughs> Chicago graduate. You know, like, uh,
0: <laughs> we got to harden up these soft edges.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's funny, when we were doing that trivia segment, I left off any questions about the 2013 pennant-winning Cardinals, because rumor has it, uh, it might be a sensitive subject for you and your husband.
0: <laughs> oh, you know, it, uh, it still pains me to think back on. No, it's, uh, it's, it's fine now, because they made it right in the end. But so basically, this is what happened. So we got married 2013, October, and... Um, we got if, if you, any St. Louis fans are listening out there, uh, we got married in Tower Grove Park and had our reception at Windows on Washington, right on the cor- around the corner from the City Museum, which is a dope location. So we um, stayed at a central hotel, which happens to be directly across from Busch Stadium. Got a great deal for like bridal party and like you know the people staying at the hotel, blah blah. blah. Well. Um, They were playing the Dodgers during the playoffs, and apparently the Dodgers won a game that they weren't expecting to win and ended up having to extend their stay. So a day before, we're supposed to check into the hotel, which is the day before the rehearsal dinner. We get a call from the hotel that our bridal suite is no longer available. And we're like, hmm, V, interesting, because we (laughs) booked that shit like a year ago, so after you know some digging, it is revealed that the um, bridal suite is no longer available because Tommy Lasorda has been staying in it, the manager of the Dodgers, and would not vacate. The what suite. a
1: fucking asshole! What honestly, a fucking <laughs> <laughs> asshole! It's like, a wedding; like he can stay anywhere he bitch, wants.
0: Honestly, so um, you know, after a uh, some. Delegating, like, um, Dad, you handle this. <laughs> 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 they, you know, the hotel is able. You know, they put together a couple of big suites to make like a mega suite. But it's, you know, still not quite the same. And uh, they basically promised us, like, you know, we're gonna make this right for you. Like, come hang out after the wedding. You know, bar tabs on us. Blah blah blah. Well, the wedding ends. The and we go back to the hotel for the after party. After the reception, and the Cardinals had just won a game. So the hotel is absolute pandemonium. So there's nowhere for us to go. And we basically <sighs> find a concierge or a front desk person, somebody who's like, um, you know, just order what you want at the bar, uh, we'll take care of it all, blah, blah, blah. So we do cut to like half an hour later the bartender hands me the check, like in the the girl in the wedding dress. And it's like, what the actual fuck is going on around here? So we track down our front desk friend again. We're like, where can we, like, this is pretty whack. He directs us to a conference room on some floor upstairs, which we swarm take over, have like a, basically a full <laughs> bar at this point. And, Ryan and I, you know, party there for a little bit, and they're like, "Okay, we got to get out of here. The everyone keeps partying in this conference room until the cops come. <laughs> like, <laughs> they got kicked out of the conference room after after party. And somehow, after a very um sweetly written note from my mom, they they made it right the next year and gave me and Ryan a free stay on our anniversary. So we got to have a little a little staycation a year later in the bridal suite, finally.
1: And that's Caitlin's endorsement for that hotel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not mentioning the name, but I will say Tommy LaSorda can suck my dick. <laughs>
1: Now, another source subject I tried to leave off <laughs> was, you know, just, you know, Mark McGuire for a second. It's interesting how you can connect, be more chill to steroid use in baseball. Don't listen, Ooh. we've had a ton of guys in the Yankees <laughs> do the same. So, yeah, um, artificial means to achieve something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: An example of that being prevalent on Broadway and in baseball.
0: Indeed. Let me I ask. mean, I've done some steroids to get through a show. So
1: have you really? Hell yeah! Like vocal steroids prescribed by a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. So that's different. That's not <laughs> like yeah. That's completely different. Oh, I don't know. Or it's kind of is it now? Let me ask you: around your peers, is that considered like a performance enhancing drug, and they get pissed off?
0: They don't get pissed off. It's more like a, uh, um, just you know. Uh, I mean, mostly it's like, mind your own business. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I think people like, know how to use them responsibly, where it's like, okay, if you're doing this, you like, you, you need, you need to get, get through this period of time. Often it's like, in that insane period of like, previews or like, tech and previews where everyone's just dying. And, um, you know, you do what you got to do. And uh, I would say most people go to their, like, ENT for steroids. I'm so sure some people just have their personal cachet that they dip into when the time calls. But um, I think people are pretty responsible with it. Because, like, Broadway performers, it's it's a diff- it's a like a different kind of athleticism. You have to maintain your body at all times, at all costs. So um, people are going to be careful. They're not going to, like, you know, do the steroids that – make them feel great and then blow out their voice in a
1: single night. Now the union has no say in it. No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah, because like whereas with baseball, that is so much I mean, the U- players union protected baseball players for years with the the um the no drug policy. So mm. I was just I was just curious to see how if, you know, if they were in your corner, you know, for that being a Oh preference.
0: no, I've never I've never heard of any kind of like union intervention in that way. I think it's mostly just like uh you can be able to do your job responsibly kind of a thing.
1: When you were doing that show in the Out of Town Run in New Jersey, did you ever imagine that it was going to develop that that cult following the way that it did? <sighs> oh my gosh. Um
0: not to the extent that it did, absolutely not, but there were some, you know, there were some hints early on that uh, there was something like really special happening, you know, when before the album even existed, of course, we would have mostly teenagers, but, you know, adults too, like coming back to the show over and over and over. And you start to kind of like clock people singing along to the songs. It's like, these songs don't exist outside these walls. So you have to be so familiar from coming to the theater to watch this show, to know these words. It was, and that was wild. And that was like, this is, that's pretty rare. And that's pretty special. So there were, there were inklings of like, Hmm, I think this is something pretty cool.
1: Now, when it makes when did you get the rumblings that it was headed to Broadway?
0: Oh gosh. Um well, I mean Off Broadway came as such a surprise that you know, we we sold out our run before we opened. I remember like the moment during tech when <laughs> Jennifer Ashley Tupper was like, "We sold out." And we're like, "Oh my god, that's wild." And then they um extended for a week and that sold out within hours. And we're like, Okay, <laughs> it's totally going to go, right? But of course, you know This was my first rodeo with that. So I'm like, I don't ever count chickens, you know, before they hatch. And uh, I'm just like, okay, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But um, it was it, this insane explosion of energy every night at the Signature. And it just felt undeniable. And even though, you know, the times did not give it the rave that it <laughs> consistently never gave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just felt like this thing is... uh. It's, it's got to go. It's got to go. There's like a fever pitch.
1: I was going to say, it caught so much momentum. Uh, we talk in baseball a lot about the importance of preparation. Uh, was there anything that surprised you or caught you off guard about Broadway as far as what you would have to do to get yourself into the zone?
0: Everything about Broadway was harder than I expected it to be, especially having done off-Broadway so recently before Broadway. Um, but 3.0, as we called it, was uh, just... Upgraded, hey show, Uh, in every possible aspect. You know, the choreography was harder. The vocal tracks were harder. Little things like uh, there were more costumes, faster costume changes. The wings were bigger, so like getting to a quick change took longer. Um, You know, Broadway. (laughs) We say now, Broadway is stairs. The dressing rooms are never on the same floor. Like it's like going up and down. i wildly gesticulating, <laughs> hitting my face with the mic. Uh,
1: <laughs> I haven't seen your eyes go that wide since uh, you oh said God. she is not
0: French. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to take this mic in the teeth, I swear. Um, <laughs> yes, going up and down stairs all day. It was like every everything was like constant wear and tear. So, so much about the Broadway ex- experience was body maintenance, vocal maintenance, living this monastic lifestyle that I didn't expect because I didn't have to do it off Broadway. You know, as a performer, you know how to take care of yourself to a huge extent, but it was just a completely different animal on Broadway. So it was like, I, you know, I had my routine every day of like, which vitamins I'm taking, doing the nasal rinse, turning on all the humidifiers, turning on the air purifiers. It was just like this nonstop regiment of like trying to keep ahead of the sickness and the injury.
1: Why do you think the show closed as quickly as it did? I
0: think there I think the big thing was that we did not get a Tony nomination for best musical. Um and I got a crash course in like Broadway politics this past year and I think the uh the the big the big thing is with um, original musical theater if you're not a known property, you know, if you're not um a, a movie adaptation, um if you don't have a huge star as your lead, um, you're, it's a real uphill battle. So, um, the fact that we, um, did not get that nomination, that means you're, uh, out of towners just don't hear about you. You know, when you're on the Tonys nominated for best score and they don't say the name of your musical in like the parody moment, <laughs> that's <Yeah. laughs> like, you know, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. It's just like the, uh, the Tonys is such a huge moment for recognition, um, that it, it's, it's just hard to overcome when you're not a super known entity. And I think, um, you know, the show is such a, you know, a misfit kind of vibe, but it really was an international sensation. I think that could have been, like, emphasized a little more to get um, get more of an audience there that wasn't going to be, like, that first wave of uh, the, the rabid fans who did come over and over, which is amazing. But um, I think there was potential for... Um, for more, but uh, I don't think I could have done the show for longer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that right?
0: Oh, I was, I mean, I felt like I was being held together with scotch tape by the end. It was just like, I, yeah, it was just so, so brutally hard.
1: Physically, Physi- vocally. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. All of that. I mean, I, yeah, I had to do, I had to have such a lifestyle change. I just kind of like missed my my life. I like never got to see my friends. I was, you know, eating dinner at like 11 a.m. or at 11 p.m., Like Ryan just like sliding a plate of food in front of me, like rolling me into bed. It's like, oh my God, I don't have a life, you know? So, you know, it's a, it's very sad to have closed early, but it's, you know, a bit of a, a a bit of a blessing to be able to like say, thank you, move on.
1: Is it weird playing a teenager too?
0: (laughs) It's weird to have been able to. (laughs) I'm like, oh, sure. I mean, I'm like literally 20 years older than the character. I was like, I'm, for me, I'm like, (laughs) flattered but uh no it's it's fun I got to like tap into some of those uh you know as I mentioned I was not a cool kid so I got to kind of exercise the uh the demons of um, <laughs> popularity that
1: you became damn popular and that's something that I want to talk to you about and this is gonna touch on your individual success for a moment a little bit about you as a person and your personal success in 2019 uh, your fan base in Broadway really did grow so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, talent aside, I feel like fans can really relate to you because you're so open with them. It's like, hey, I'm starring in a hit Broadway show, but I'm also a regular person mm-hmm. going through a lot of the same real life issues that you are. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there in positions similar that will try to put up a facade, uh, whether that's in social media or when you're meeting them in person. And, you know, that's like one thing just. Speaking from my own experience as a Yankee fan, that was often a dilemma for a lot of fans with A-Rod because, mm. you know, even with all of his success on the field, he would try to create this false narrative where he just would never show his hand as mm-hmm. to what was really going on. And as we found out later, there was certainly a lot going on. What is it that drives you to be so authentic and so real with your fans the way you are? Because you've touched on some really serious stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I I personally don't know any other way to be, and it sounds like that would be exhausting to have to put on, um, something so false. Uh, and I, I kind of admire people who are able to do that, who are able to kind of like put on the sheen, only share what they want to share, um, and i could definitely not share you know it's like it's not hard to not do instagram yeah. but um i think there's i have a i'm so not like famous by any stretch in my estimation but i feel like i have like a little bit of a platform a little bit of a megaphone and i think um I mean, I think everyone thinks their own values are good, but I, 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 believe in what I believe in, and I think it's an important thing to, to share. I think it's important to share one's own authenticity and experience, and um, if that makes people feel less alone or seen or heard in some way, um, I think that's really important.
1: And I'm not going to tell other people how to act, but I do think it's really admirable that that uh, you. That you use your platform the way you do. So thank
0: you very much. Thank you. You know, it's a it's a fine line because there's also like you also have the right to not engage at a certain point. And there, are, I learned a couple of tricky lessons over the past couple of years of like, kind of you shouldn't read the comments and like <laughs> probably like at a certain point just like don't engage. And like the block button is there for a reason. Use it judiciously. As much as like as open as I want to be, it's also my own space, and I don't need to like. Welcome every voice and energy into what I'm accepting into my space.
1: Keep using it the way you're using it. Thanks, man. We're going to take one last break. When we come back, it's time for Fastball Derby. Stay tuned. All right, Caitlin, you've accomplished some great things on stage and on screen, but now it's about to get tough. Oh, boy. Ninth inning. Two outs, bases loaded. Mm -hmm. Let's just say it's a one-run game, uh, and you have to get home at least a tying or winning run if you really want to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. But Aroldis Chapman is on the mound throwing 105 miles an hour. He's a six-time (laughs) all-star. I'll be playing the role of Aroldis Chapman. I ask you a question, like I'm throwing the pitch to you. Okay. And you say the first thing that comes to your head. Take your best swing. Okay. You'll see how it's I It's
0: like a word association kind of
1: thing? Not at all. This okay. is just to give more insight to you. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's the most confusion we've ever had going into fastball <laughs> derby, Britt. No, this is just
0: my like competitive. I'm like, okay, how do I, hey,
1: I want to do this right. We're all out of prizes, I don't know if I can way, win, Caitlin, but I want to win. <laughs> sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Favorite New York City meal? Oh,
0: my gosh. Um, I love food so much, and I – Honestly, it's really hard. to Okay, so uh, there's a, this great new restaurant on um, Columbia Street in my neighborhood called The Longshoreman that opened recently, and they have the best burrata that I've ever mm-hmm. tasted. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's burrata.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, that's not even Italian. That's just-
0: <laughs> anyway, it's great. It's a, like, on arugula and all this incredible shit. Um, yeah, it's delicious.
1: That's the first thing that comes to mind. If you were a baseball player, which position would you play and why?
0: Um, catcher, because that's what I played when I was in a theater league softball team in Chicago, because I couldn't be trusted in the other positions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you wear a mask and everything? No. Oh, no, that's not a thing.
0: No, no. And, um, I think, uh, it was rare for anyone to have to throw home and that's why (laughs) they
1: put me there. (laughs) You ever do Broadway show league?
0: No, no, I know it was a thing, but we didn't make it to the spring, you know? (laughs) And last spring, we were a little busy. So, um, no, I did go, I did do the Broadway bowling once, but.
1: (laughs) Your Three Desert Island songs.
0: Oh my gosh, that's a really hard question. Um, Tear in Your Hand by Tori Amos. (laughs) Um,. Let's see. Um
1: The Break a Bat theme song. Go on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want these to be good. Oh god. Um, let's see. Um In My Life by the Beatles.
1: You're a Beatles girl?
0: I'm a huge, huge Beatles fan.
1: What's your favorite album? Revolver. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of Abbey Road. I hear a lot of White Album. I hear a lot of Sgt. Pepper. Rubber mm. Soul. I also, I
0: also love Rubber Soul. I mean, I I I love them all. I love Michelle's
1: Shell's in there, and yeah. all these great songs.
0: love yeah. that, that I, and the, the cover art is just like just burned into my brain too. Yeah. I just love it.
1: And what was the third song?
0: Oh, what was the third song? Um, bah, 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 bah. oh, probably, uh, my tears dry on their own. Amy Winehouse. It's just tears dry on their own not my
1: tears dry. <laughs> <laughs> Actor or actress you've learned the most from?
0: Hmm. Steve Martin has always been a huge icon for me in comedy and as a performer. He wrote an amazing biography, autobiography called Born Standing Up. And that was a very cool um, insight into his particular showbiz track and his approach to comedy and performing and his uh his particular breed of comedy has always had a a huge influence on me
1: all-time favorite film
0: it's a tie between eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and
1: wayne's world (laughs) Wow. I was not expecting the (laughs) latter with the way you started that, but awesome.
0: I I just have to be honest. It's a a timeless classic.
1: Favorite late night snack, two show day, maybe 12 hours on set. What's Caitlin grabbing before she hits the couch? Mozzarella sticks. Mozzarella sticks.
0: (laughs) Mozzarella sticks. I've never
1: had mozzarella sticks. What? I've I've only had mozzarella sticks. (laughs) Completely different entities. Fair. Proudest moment of your career, aside from tonight?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, Oh, that's so tricky. Uh, I'm proud of a lot of things. I I try to be proud of all my work. Um, Oh, fuck. Mm, I'm sorry, it's taking a long time. Um... I feel kind of obligated to say, like, first bow on Broadway. That was a pretty big fucking deal. Um, but I also had a, a private, like, family and friends screening of Holly Star* when it came out last year. And that was really, really special to, like, watch that movie for, like, maybe the second time on a big screen, like, in one of those, like, private screening rooms, which were, like, really cool to be in with my my family and a bunch of close friends. That was That was pretty... I was pretty proud of that.
1: Lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you and what was it?
0: Never talk to the cops. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> From my father. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you want to tell us the story about where that applied in your life Is a bonus feature for our subscribers? Oh, no. no. It's just that as a
0: defense attorney, that's just the thing he says a lot. He doesn't know we're talking to cause. Exercise your fourth men right. Don't open your trunk. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let's see. Best piece of advice. I assume this should be like career related.
1: It could be anything.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: There's no rules with fastball derby. That's half the beauty of
0: it. This is is a very slow-pitch derby when I'm playing, and I really (laughs) want to think about my answers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Best piece of advice. It is actually going to be career-related, and I don't even remember who said this. And it might be like an amalgamation of like many similar concepts. But the best advice – that I've heard and that I would give someone else in this business is you can't be anyone but yourself. So don't try to be. And what makes you hireable is your uniqueness. And you'll get hired because you're you and not trying to be someone else. It's very easy to like try to imitate someone else's voice, do the thing someone does, dress like someone else, but break out of the cookie cutter. Be yourself
1: awesome it served you pretty well thanks well I know you're going out to LA for a bit but don't forget us here on Broadway you're going to come back is that is that gonna I, I
0: I better come back or my cat will miss me <laughs> <laughs> and I assume my husband will too so. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> awesome well Kaylin, thank you so much for joining us today on break a bat
0: thanks so much for having me
1: That'll close out the ball game. This is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time.